Well, good, good morning. If I join that team, I will be an obstacle. So, <laughs> so I'm Rene Palacios, and Pastor Matt is on vacation, much deserved vacation, so he asked me to fill in for him today, so I'm glad to do that. Um, I'm not officially a pastor right now, but I'm, um, I haven't retired from the ministry. I'm director of uh, emergency shelter services for Denver Rescue Mission. So if you see someone camping out in a tent with no place to live, um, it's all my fault. So, okay. <laughs> and there's lots of people in Denver that will tell you that. And they, say, they tell me, take care of my people. So. We're going to be looking this morning at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 18. So let me read this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Father, we worship you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for forgiveness of sins. We thank you for all the good things that you have provided for us. And we promise to give you all glory, honor, praise in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, Paul is locked up in a Roman dungeon and he knows that he is about to die. This is the last letter that he wrote. In his previous imprisonment, it wasn't quite as bad. I don't think any Roman prison could be called good, but he had some liberty. He had some freedom to preach the gospel, but this time, in the time of Nero, he was in a Roman dungeon and there was no hope for him, at least not hope to escape or be released, apart from a miracle of God. He knows that he's about to die, but he is not afraid. In fact, he almost seems joyful in some sections in this epistle. He speaks of being poured out. He speaks of finishing the race. He speaks of having fought the good fight. He speaks of, having re of receiving his re reward. He speaks of having kept the faith. 
However, Paul knows that his duty is not finished until he's passed on the mantle to his son in the faith, Timothy. He is also seeking assurance from Timothy that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is in good hands. Paul knows the challenges and the suffering that Timothy and the others faced during this critical time as the flame is passed on to a new generation of believers. Timothy was going to face much hardship and suffering. He was going to face entanglements of everyday life. He was going to face heresies and godlessness in abundance. But Timothy had to hold the line. He must guard the gift. He must preach the word. God calls us to proclaim the gospel when it is convenient and when it is not convenient. We desperately need the gift of the Holy Spirit within us to be stirred up to remember what God has called us to and then to be faithful and even courageous to fulfill our ministry. Timothy seems to be in need of some measure of encouragement and perhaps even gentle rebuke at this time in his ministry. I don't blame Timothy. First of all, how do you measure up to someone like the Apostle Paul? Also remember the circumstances of this church in Timothy's age. Imagine the persecution that Timothy faced as he preached the gospel. I don't think most of us really have any idea of what it is like to be a Christian under circumstances like that. Paul has not at all given up on Timothy, and he has the exact prescription to help Timothy to carry on with this difficult ministry and to guard what has been entrusted to him. I believe that the true emphasis of this passage isn't Timothy's ministry, but the empowering of the Holy Spirit to fulfill this ministry. First of all, we see that Paul tells Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. He needs to fan into flame or stir up this gift, not that the Holy Spirit has left him or that the gifts for ministry have left him, but for some reason they had quieted down within him. And so Paul is telling him, you need to stir up the flame within you. It needs to become visible and it needs to be effective. He's not saying that the flame is dead, but it isn't hidden or else it's neglected. And what was that gift? Literally, it's in Greek called the charisma. It's the gift of the Spirit that he's been given to fulfill the ministry that he has been called to. Paul goes on to say, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It's not the gift of an office necessarily. Timothy was called to an office, but it's the empowering of the Holy Spirit to fulfill that office. In 1 Timothy 4.14, it reads, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. It's not exactly clear if we're talking about the time where Paul laid hands on Timothy with the rest of the elders, or if he's talking about a separate instance where he alone laid hands on Timothy. Now, from this time forward, as a practice, the church would lay hands on men as they were brought into ministry. And by laying on hands, I just mean that literally they would put their hands on their, on their forehead as if to pass on something to them. Now, there are some churches to this day that hold to apostolic succession. This type of succession is, is understood to mean that the successors to the apostles are able to convey this trust unto other men. There were some good things about this type of succession because the church was being faced with heresies and you had men that were coming around that were saying, well, I belong to this one or I belong to this one or he brought me into the ministry. 
until there was a confusion about who the true successors were after the apostles. So the church decided, let's see who really did ordain you, who you followed. And that was the kernel of apostolic succession. The problem was, as time went on, there were bishops who were passing on the ministry to men who were not faithful to the doctrine, who were not faithful to the scriptures, who were living godless lives or teaching heresies. And on lists of apostolic succession, which is the lists of bishops, you will see some men that were untrustworthy. As time went on, there were people who came believed that this was not necessary for the church. Now, of course, there are many churches that still hold apostolic succession. But I think many in the church finally reached the point that they realized that true succession was to men that, that held the line, men that maintained the faith, men that preached the true gospel, men that lived holy lives. That was the true succession. At this time, I should point out that I was ordained to the priesthood through the Anglican church. Um, and in the Anglican church, priest doesn't mean the same as it means in the Roman Catholic church. It's just that if you've ever talked to people from England, they don't speak English. But <laughs> so they took the, the Greek word for presbyter and it came out to sounding like priest. And so anyway, I was ordained into the Anglican church and that Anglican means that it maintains communion with the Church of England. Now, I'm no longer active in that church. But the Anglican Church still holds to apostolic succession. And I was ordained by Bishop Kelshaw, who was a wonderful, godly man, and his succession reaches back to the Apostle John. However, Bishop Kelshaw made sure to emphasize to me that the true succession was that of the faith and the scriptures and the true doctrines of the church being passed on to men that would guard what had been entrusted to them. Paul goes on to say, for God gave us not a spirit of fear. Literally, God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. If you note the example of the apostles, you look at Peter, who first of all tells Christ, I'll never deny you. I will die for you. I'll do whatever it takes to protect you. And then what does he do? He cuts off the ear of a servant and he runs and he hides and he denies Christ three times before the cock crows. But what happened to him that just a short time later he was able to stand up in front of a large crowd and preach the gospel without fear? Not a coward, but somebody that was strong in the faith to the point that many came to believe in Christ. What was the difference there? What was the difference with the other apostles? It is that they depended not upon themselves, but upon the Holy Spirit to minister, to do what God had called them to do. So this is not a spirit of cowardice, but it is a spirit of power. Not power in ostentatious display, but strength to overcome obstacles or difficulties. The strength to carry on. He also says it is a spirit of love. It is a committed love. It is a spirit of self-control. And with this self-control, he is saying that it is the type of person that can keep their head in a crisis. It is the type of person who is able to steady the people around them. 
the person you can depend on in a crisis. Why? Because they're depending upon the Spirit. When I was in college, and I, th I think I went to a good school, but many of the most important things I learned weren't in the classes. In this small college that was established to train ministers for the Spanish Assemblies of God, that was way out in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. The week before we got there, a van blew up because the people in the van had a bomb inside that they were going to use to break someone out of the county jail. And this school was just down the road from Tombstone, Arizona, so it was still a wild place. Another time, someone bombed the post office. I was a volunteer firefighter in the local fire department. Someone asked me to join, said that it was an easy $50 a month, and I just had to get through training and weekly meetings. And after all, nothing ever happens here. After the explosion of the post office, we jumped into the fire truck and raced over there, and there was no building. There was just letters floating in the air. Another time, there was a riot in the neighborhood across the highway from the school. The college was run by the Spanish Assemblies of God, but had originally been founded by one of the 1950s healing evangelists. And he had a large following, including a group of inner city blacks from Chicago who had followed him to Arizona. The sheriff of the county and his deputies did not get along well with this church group, and they had many confrontations. It resulted in a shootout, and two people were killed. As a result of this event, I actually held hands with and sang We Shall Overcome with Jesse Jackson when he came to help settle things down in the middle of nowhere. In our second year, an arsonist managed to burn down most of our school. We lost our gym, our classrooms, our library, our chapel, our administrative offices, and the professor's offices. And what I learned during those times as I looked at some of these professors that I had have seen me through a lifetime of sometimes challenging ministry. I saw one professor who had been working on a thesis the day before and he had left it in his office and watched as it burned up along with his office. I saw one professor who lost literally thousands of books and a manuscript for a new book that he had just completed. And this was in the time of slide rules and typewriters, so there was no... <laughs> now, we fought this fire from 10 p.m. on Sunday night until 5 p.m. on Monday morning. But actually, sometime early on Monday morning, the fire chief told us to stand down as he realized that it was a lost cause and we just kept the huge propane tanks cool so that they would not explode. And then we just stood there and watched the fire consume everything. And I stood out there next to Professor Jeter, an elderly man who had been a missionary in South America, was chased out of Cuba by Fidel Castro, and was locked out of Spain by General Franco. As he watched his books and his manuscript burn, and at one point, he just said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be 
the name of the Lord. It's about 7 a.m., me and my late wife, Bridget, we went to the cafeteria to eat some breakfast, and then we went to our little apartment and collapsed. Now, Mondays was our day off, as many ministers are used to taking Monday as their day off, and the school held to that schedule. When we woke up, we began making plans to pack up our belongings and decide where to go and what to do. After all, our school had burned down. However, on Tuesday morning, the announcement was made, classes will resume on Wednesday morning. Do you know how many days we missed a school? What? Paul is telling Timothy, we need people like this to pass on the faith. We don't need people that are going to lose their head over every little thing, but people that will maintain and hold the line because you're going into a difficult place. It's a difficult world, but you're not alone. Paul also tells Timothy, Timothy, you need to share in suffering for the gospel. Do not be ashamed, first of all, of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of it. Mark 8.38 reads, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What is the testimony of our Lord? Paul gives a short accounting of the phrase. He says that he saved us, he called us to a holy calling, that it was not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace that he called us, that he did this before the ages began, that he did this before times eternal. He goes on to say that this great work is manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Why would you be ashamed of that? Why would, be a, why would we be ashamed of that? Also, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner, his bondservant. I am a slave. I'm a bondservant to him and to the gospel. I've given my life to this. Don't be ashamed of me. I have been appointed to bring light to this world. I am a preacher. He is a herald that stands out and speaks the word. Now, what kind of herald was he? There were some people that said, well, he doesn't speak very well, and he sure doesn't look good. But it wasn't because of him. It was because of who he believed in. He also said, I am an apostle, a messenger. I am the one that God has called to set this foundation. What kind of men were these apostles? At one place, Paul said, we apostles are the off-scouring of the world. Have you ever been camping and you cook some eggs in a pan and the stuff that's left over that you have to clean out of the pan? That's the off-scouring. Paul is saying, that's what we are like. He said, I'm the chief of sinners, but he set me, called me to set the foundation for this church. Paul was a prisoner for the gospel. He says, I suffer because of this gospel, but even though he, suffer, even though he suffers because of this gospel, he says, I am not ashamed. And why isn't he ashamed? Because I know 
whom I have believed. In this instance, he doesn't say, I know what I have believed. He says, I know whom I have believed. By the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, he knows Jesus Christ. He knows whom he believes. He goes on to say, I am convinced. He's been assured by the Holy Spirit that he is able. He's not ashamed even though he's suffering because of this gospel. He's not ashamed because he's in good company and suffering. In Hebrews, it speaks of people that the world was not worthy of. We think of someone like the deacon Stephen, who was just a deacon. But 2,000 years later, we still read of him and we still see of his faith and his power that he had because he knew in whom he believed. Paul goes on to tell Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words. First of all, the sound words that you have heard from me, he says to take heed to the doctrine, study the scriptures, read the scriptures, give yourself wholly to them. Study the things that I have taught you, correct those who are in error, reject the wolves. He goes on to say that we are to do this in the faith and the love that is in Christ Jesus. Speak the truth in love having the faith and having the love being able to maintain that tension and so as we hear this doctrine we need to do this with faith and we need to to do it with love that is in Jesus Christ Paul goes on to tell Timothy guard the good deposit entrusted to you guard your faith guard the gifts that are given to you for ministry we're not exactly certain that Timothy was at Ephesus when this epistle was written or that he was pastoring a church in Ephesus at this time, but it's not a stretch to say that he probably was in Ephesus. Let me read to you what Paul was saying to the elders in Ephesus as he left them. And this is taken from the book of Acts, starting with uh, chapter 20, verse 17. It says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life to, of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God, and now behold, I know that none among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away 
the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I, am, I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It was not going to be an easy job that Paul had called Timothy to, or these elders to do. How were they going to accomplish this? They had to depend upon the Holy Spirit. In Romans it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Second Corinthians says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And in Corinthians, Second Corinthians also says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And finally, Paul goes on to tell Timothy that you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, disloyal brothers. There are some people that talk about receiving their 15 minutes of fame. Think about Phygelus and Hermogenes. They've had 2,000 years of fame. And what were they famous for? For being cowards. For shrinking back for not helping to hold the line. Now, if this is the church in Ephesus that Timothy is pastoring, what does Christ say to that church in, in Revelation? He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Now, according to Dr. Kim Riddlebarger in a sermon that he, that he wrote, he says that evidence indicates that the temple in Ephesus drew pilgrims from surrounding areas, making it quite a tourist attraction. The temple held much land and financial clout, controlling much of the local banking. It was also home to one of the largest libraries as well as being a center for the occult. In the words of one writer, if there was any city in which the church needed spiritual discernment, it was Ephesus. In fact, this church will be commended by Christ because of that. But the Ephesian church will also come under rebuke for having lost its first love. Perhaps the inevitable fallout in a church besieged by false doctrine and controversy. But what does Jesus mean by when he speaks of losing our first love? Many people teach that, that the symptom of losing our first love is that our relationship with God grows cold, we cease from praying, we're no longer concerned about seeing unbelievers come to Christ and so on. But Jesus has just commended this church for doing those things. The loss of the first love seems much more likely to be a reference to the fact that all of the infighting in that congregation is experienced, produced a bitterness and a judgmental attitude within that congregation. So it's possible that Timothy did too good a job because in maintaining the faith, maintaining the doctrine, he may have become too wary and judgmental and lost his first love. After all, Jesus had said, this is my commandment, 
that you love one another. Paul also mentions Onesiphorus. He says, Timothy, remember, there's also men that were faithful, men that refreshed me. He goes on to commend the household of Onesiphorus. He says, he wasn't ashamed of my chains. He searched for me. He refreshed me. May he receive mercy on that day. Now, what has been entrusted? What has been entrusted to Paul? What has Paul entrusted to God? Paul has entrusted himself and all that he holds dear. Now, I'm retired from the pastorate, not from the ministry. I've been in the ministry for over 36 years. I was thinking of Brother Jeter as I prepared this sermon. On the day of that fire, he lost many worldly possessions. But he gained much more than he lost in the lives of the young ministers that he gave a strong foundation to as he poured his life into them, myself included. Sometimes when it gets hard, I think of Brother Jeter and standing there watching him or some of my other professors that even though they were knocked down, they got up and they continued to hold the faith. Very few people actually start out in ministry, actually finish their race in the ministry. There's a very high burnout rate among ministers. But hopefully as I've run my race, that I have influenced other young ministers or other people in my congregations. Hopefully, I have poured out my life unto others. Hopefully, you are pouring your life into someone. So fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Maintain the faith. Preach the gospel. Continue to love. The Lord goes on to say, may you receive mercy on that day the day that this is all completed. May God grant us mercy on that day because we have held the faith. We have believed. And most importantly, we know whom we believe. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for calling us into your kingdom and call, calling us by your name. We pray, Father, that we would continue to be faithful, that we would maintain the doctrine, but also, Father, that we would maintain the love. And above all things, Father, we promise to give you all glory, all honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.